What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. I am the Supreme Pontiff and Sovereign of the Holy City of Pod. Y'all know me. I'm the Reverend Brandon T. Maxwell. And I am the Stated Clerk and Platinum Virgin Mother, Katie Ricks. Pastor Sam is out today, so Katie and I have invited our good friend, <laughs> Natasha Prince Sanders, to the pod. Tell the people who you are. Let me tell y'all who I am. I am Natasha Prince Sanders, the Chief Sunday School Superintendent and the private intercessor at the Church for the People of All Sense, but especially Common Sense. Because the one thing that ain't common is common sense. Come on. Today the category is Sunday's Best. Put on your Easter suit because we're talking about the church. Is the church necessary? Has it lost its vitality? Are churches and the institutions that support them morally bankrupt? If so, is there a way to save it? Is there a reason to save it? But first, we've got a few announcements for the good of the congregation. We're talking Colin Powell and Dave Chappelle. So with that, let's get into it. Good morning, good morning. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good morning. Praise I said praise Lord. the Lord, everybody, Katie. I said praise praise the Lord. Her, her praise the Lord dim today. Come on, from your Shondo. She wanted the rocks to cry out. <laughs> on her behalf. I now know that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not. We don't want no rocks to praise them. Hey. Welcome back to Holy Shit Pop, where your three favorite pastors get a little less unfiltered than Dave Chappelle was in his comedy special. And we talk about all the things you tweet about during during those eight-hour Facebook outages, we are so glad to welcome our guest preacher for the morning, Archbishop of Truth Telling and Shade, Natasha Prince Sanders. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure. Ah. It is a blessing. Come on. I was glad when they said unto me, let us, let us come into the house of Paul. Ah. Huh? Come on. We might have to make you a regular. You just fit right on in here. <laughs> well, you know, cutting up is what I do. It's, mm-hmm. It could be my middle name, mm-hmm. but it ain't. Cut up is what I do. Come on. Come on. If you ain't Pointing your finger and shaking your head, you ain't doing protocol. You're not. Well, <laughs> but I'm just glad to have another woman on here for once. This is just way too much testosterone to deal with. I know that's right, Katie. They be coming for you. You know. Okay. Yeah. And I be walking and listening, be like, wait, hold up. Let Katie say something. I mean, Let her speak. She got words. <laughs> Sam be cutting her off. It's Sam's fault. Sam do be cutting her off, but we gonna cut him off today. Bye, Sam. No, Sam, come back. Sam, come back. We like you, Sam. Don't leave. <laughs> Sam, to be clear, both Katie and Natasha want you out. Natasha wants your seat. Katie wants you gone. It's Sam's birthday this week, so he's taking a much-needed vacation and celebrating his 37th year of life. Happy birthday to you, good sir. We look forward to hanging again next week. Oh, but God didn't leave us without a comforter. Natasha, you know how this works, right? <laughs> and I do, yes. I know I know how we do over here. Okay. I know how we do in the, in the pod house. You a regular member. I'm a little concerned if we're going to just announce everybody's age every time they hit a birthday. Katie, we know you 62. <laughs> I'm 40. Come on, claim your age. I'm 51, so... You better say that! Come on, because somebody didn't live to see 51. You right. Come on here. You best give God praise while you can, while the blood is running warm in your veins. Ah. Come on here. Help her. Come on here. Help her. The saints are not ready for you. Let's go to our church announcements. Announcement number one, Colin Powell is dead. He is. He is dead. Was that, that was too insensitive. That was one way to say it. It was a, yeah, it was a little too... Let me, let, me figure, let me be more pastoral. He is. Colin Powell has passed away. He's passed on. Wikipedia says that he was an American statesman, diplomat, and four-star 
General, who also served as the 65th Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005. He was the first Black man to serve in this capacity, and you can read more about his accolades online. We talked about Colin Powell on last week's episode, which was recorded prior to the announcement of his death. He was being treated for blood cancer and died from complications with COVID-19 last Monday. So since we mentioned him last week, I wanted to provide a little space for reflections if y'all have them. There's a lot of things that are amazing about Colin Powell. Uh, my father had met him uh, in, in maybe at West Point, maybe somewhere. But My father met him at West Point. That was a little humble brag. Well, he taught there. Okay, girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Boasting that. Say it again. Say it with your shit. <laughs> right. I mean, he didn't go to West Point, and that also, you know, there's a those are second class people in the army, but he taught there. Anyway, Colin Powell started out as an infantryman in Vietnam. Like that's the lowest of the low in the military. And he became a general during Desert Storm. He was the Secretary of State. He was also the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the National Security Advisor. And like what I have always appreciated about him is his ability to to tell the truth. I mean, he was a member of the Republican Party and endorsed Obama. Uh, My daughter was like, does that mean he changed? And I was like, well, it means that he endorsed Obama. But he told the truth, I think, from my humblest of places. You know, I, I ain't want him to rest just yet. I wanted him to have one more go. I wanted him to, I wanted him to not beat blood counts and then succumb to COVID-19. I ain't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. I want it better for his life. I want it more for his life. But you know, based on what Wikipedia has said and what Katie has reported on today, mm-hmm. <laughs> this man done mm-hmm. ran his race. He done finished his course. He done fought the good fight. Uh-huh. And so he is going to get his reward, I hope. I I I hope. I, I, I do. But I will say this, you know, my relationship with the, the, the Colin Powell is a little, eh. uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. Help us. He was the first person that I could see that was a light-skinned version of me that I can look and say, oh, look at him. He with the president. And that felt real good to me. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, but look who you with. Do you got to be with them? Mm-hmm. Can I look at, at look up at you in your location and from mine? And I think it took, okay, so the childlike wonder, which I, I was a child when he entered, you know, I was a little younger. <laughs> when he entered his position, I had, you know, it was exciting to be able to look up to him. As an adult, I was able to hold that in more nuance and what it means to be in that position and have to make the decisions and the calls that he did. He was the only person that I had seen repent or at least openly apologize and seem apologetic for the lives that were lost under his watch, if you will. And I, you know, I didn't see that from, from anyone prior to him in an open way, right? He was very open and seemed real mournful about it, right? Like he seemed sincere about it thing. And so from that perspective, I said that, that grew my respect for him in adulthood um, in a way that I hadn't been able to feel or figure out as a, as a younger person. And so, you know, thinking about Desert Storm, that was not a good time. You know, I had uncles in Desert Storm and I was like, oh, I want them home. But he was there too, right? He was in the trenches with him. So I I feel some type of way. I wasn't ready for him to cross over because I wanted to see a little bit more from him. He gave me a lot of political hope. And now, now we're without him. And it's like giants 
just falling. Giants. Come on, Donald Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have any emotions around Colin Powell. I mean, he was a politician. He was a military person. And I didn't know him. Like, I, like, I didn't have a personal relationship with him. The last funeral that I cried at was my grandmother's. So, like, I don't really have emotions around people dying. But what was confusing to me is the outpouring of love and support for him on Twitter. Because I'm like, one, he's dead. Two, y'all didn't know him. And three, I think what y'all are really mourning is, like, empire and America. The ways in which Black people get pulled into the Empire's story and narrative so that we can celebrate them. And we have these stories about him being the first Black this or other folks being the first Black that. So that when they pass away, we're not actually mourning them. We're mourning the fact that they played a role inside of whiteness. And so that is what made me kind of betwixt in between with this whole uh, passing of Colin Powell. I don't ever wish death on anybody. Sam's the only one that does that. But what I do wish is that we would all make choices in our lives that contributed to the flourishing of other human beings. In some ways, Colin Powell attempted to do that in the latter part of his career. So, uh, gone but not forgotten, I'm not sad because... Because you don't feel sadness, which is the other issue here, but I don't know if you want to explore that as a second church announcement. Because what I heard was some really good reflection about Colin Powell and, and white supremacy and empire. I also heard you talk about some... Uh, blockage you have, maybe with your emotions. No, 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 I don't have any blockage. It's just what I choose to be sad about. I'm sad about the fact that we're mourning whiteness. Like, I'm that that depresses me. I'm crying because y'all crying about Colin. I wasn't crying. <laughs> Not you, them, the Twitters. I will say this. When I think about... The goodness of Jesus. Hey, ah, yeah, they shit. <laughs> don't do it. Come on back. Let me come back. Whew. Okay, I'm back. When I think about the fact that this is a person who was somebody's every day. That's, that's what grieves me, right? Like he has family who really loved him, right? You know what I'm saying? So I think about the people who are left to live their lives without. That, that's really the, the grief because I'm, I'm tender in that way a little bit. For some people, I'm tender in that way. And so, you know, that, that's what got me more than anything. But I didn't want him to succumb to COVID-19, especially when people started saying they don't need to get tested and vaccinated and wear masks. Mess. Mess. <laughs> And he was fully vaccinated, which is the other thing. But. Right. We did not plan to talk about this today, but I feel like that's the thing with grief. Grief, is, to me, is selfish. Like, what we're actually thinking about is ourselves. Like, I had a family member pass away, and I had to literally say to my other family members, do not project your stuff onto these people's families. Because you sitting there talking about, oh my God, this is so sad. Why are you calling me crying, trying to comfort me? Because ultimately, you think about yourself. And that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. But I'm also going to be that nigga at your funeral that's telling all the stories that nobody wants to be told. And laughing. And laughing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. I will laugh. I will laugh. That's why me and my siblings do not sit beside each other at nobody's funeral. Oh, child. I, that's, I sit in the balcony in the back. Because Natasha, it, when you pass away, if I'm if you go before me, I will talk about your shower curtain at your funeral. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to say. Then I, what? I ordered it from Egypt and they said it's 100% Egyptian cotton. What are you going to say? Y'all, you can't see this because this is a podcast, but Natasha does her zooms in front of a shower curtain is apparently Egyptian cotton. <laughs> That's enough all day. Let's go to our next announcement. This one may take a while and turn into a mini word of pod or just the word of pod as a whole. We're going to take our time with this discussion and Terry in it just a little bit because we was texting about it early and I feel like it might be juicy. 
So if we don't get to the word of pie, that'll be fine. But we're going to tarry right here where the spirit is. So I'm not sure what to say to introduce this other than this. The saints are once again angry at David Kari Weber Chappelle, better known as the Dave Chappelle. Last Wednesday, Netflix employees staged a walkout in protest of how the company is handling the controversy surrounding Chappelle's recent Netflix exclusive. Oops, I ran out of breath. Last Wednesday... Netflix employees staged a walkout in protest of how the company is handling the controversy surrounding Dave Chappelle's recent Netflix special, The Closer. Some employees and Netflix subscribers alike are outraged by Chappelle's comments about the trans community. Employees and LGBTQIA advocacy groups have called the special transphobic and misogynistic and homophobic, among other things. But they want somebody to be held accountable. Accountable for what? I guess for what was said. What we what we holding him what we holding somebody accountable for? For what he has said, I guess. Can we hold ourselves accountable for our emotions? Oh, oh Lord, my go away. What? Lord Jesus. Why she go straight there? I don't know. Oh Lord Jesus, it's a fire. <laughs> because you know, if I feel some type of way about something, uh-huh. the first thing I'm gonna do is check myself. Hmm. Why do you feel this way about this, Natasha? Why are you responding in this way? I'm going to ask myself, and I'm going to give myself time to answer before I start projecting how I feel on somebody else. I believe when we hold ourselves accountable for our emotions and stop expecting people to feel the way we feel about things, we might be able to lean more into honesty. Hmm. But a lot of times people will withhold honesty because they don't want to deal with other people's lack of their ability to deal with their emotions. So this is basically going to be our word of pie because you want to go all deep immediately. Did you even watch it? I mean, I ain't watch it, but let me just say something. I've watched. <laughs> let me just say this. Let me say this for the people. Let me say this. Say it. Say it for the people. I've watched Dave Chappelle before. When did you watch him? Before. Okay, you said it real hard. I have to make sure. Before. Before. How you spell before? How you spell uh, before? <laughs> it's got 22 hours. It's got 22 hours. 27. <laughs> sure. I'm just saying. Y'all know, he. this is not new, right? Like, okay, remember the Chappelle show? Mm-hmm. It's, so it's not new. At some point, we have to know who it is and decide to walk away or to engage. So I didn't I didn't have to watch it to know what it was going to be because I know how as a comedian and as a person how Dave Chappelle governs himself. I know what what he says. So I don't have to watch it to know. Of course he's going to say something that's offensive. When we decided to talk about Dave Chappelle, I had not yet watched the entire special, but between then and now, I have watched it all. And I don't know if my opinion is different than it was before I watched it. Like, the same things that I text y'all, I think I hold those same convictions, but in a different way now that's rooted in what he actually said this time, which matches what he said last time and the time before that and the time before that. Cameron, what you got to say? Because your daughter was going off on people in her school classroom. Go off, daughter. She was. She was. I mean, and she doesn't know who... Dave Chappelle is either. I mean, she does, but I mean, she doesn't watch his comedy, I don't think. But it's interesting because I I, I, I watched that 35, or I listened to the 25-minute thing that you sent, and I have all kinds of feelings. Like, that's not my style of comedy. But, like, what's interesting is that he, too, 
goes after everyone. He doesn't have boundaries of who he's going to make fun of. He says it. He said At one point, he says, I'm going all the way. He was clearly like building up. It was a very slow build, surprisingly. It, it doesn't feel very slow, but it is slow. And when he gets to the turning point where you're like, oh, I think he's about to do this, he just tells you, oh, I'm going all the way. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, here he go. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, like, uh, yes, there was stuff in there that that's offensive to everyone. And he also talked about really things that are real, right? Um, he says at some point that um, LGBTQ folks are, um, you think it's one movement, but it's really a bunch of different movements, but they're all riding in the same car. And so then he talks about, uh, and he he uses the letters, but the there's a gay man driving. A white gay man driving. A white gay man, yes. A white gay man driving and a lesbian in the 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 passenger side. And they're always fighting, right? And he goes into um, like the gay man saying, oh, that was a choice about what she was wearing. I have never experienced that before. But Don't do me. <laughs> if you're going at me, then at me. That's what I tell him on Twitter. If you're going at me, then at me. Don't subtweet me. <laughs> But I helped you, and you look better. <laughs> you do, but I, I, I've decided I can wear clogs again. But that's a different. That's a different story. Okay, they're both sub to you. Maybe not. Um, so, so, but then he, that's the whitest shit you ever said. Right? <laughs> you said some pretty white shit. <laughs> He's talking about real tension that exists between the gay and lesbian community. And then he said the only thing that can bring break the tension between the gays and the lesbians are the bisexuals. And the, like, that's real. Those are real tensions that exist. And and I think he says about trans people or about the trans person that's way in the bag, uh, they invite that person into the van, but they think they're the ones that are making them take so long. And these are real tensions within the entire queer community. And so in the midst of saying really horrible stuff that I don't like, he's also giving an accurate picture of what's going on that people don't talk about. But I think it goes back to what Natasha was saying. Like, I went into it waiting on him to say something atrocious. And I was talking to my husband about it, and he, my husband was like, he ain't said nothing that bad. I said, what do you mean? He said, if he had said something that bad, you know every single one of these news agencies will be rolling it on repeat on the 5 o'clock news, the 6 o'clock news, the 10 o'clock news, CNN, MSNBC. There will be a ticker on the bottom of the screen with a quote of what Dave Chappelle said. Ain't nobody doing that. So either A, it wasn't that bad, or B... We already knew what he was going to say anyways. Why y'all acting surprised? And I want to be crystal clear. For anyone who experienced the special as transphobic, misogynistic, uh, homophobic, racist, whatever the word is you want to say, hold that perspective. In some ways, I would agree with you. There were aspects of the words that were said and the stories that were told that had transphobic undertones. Right. What I call Dave Chappelle transphobic. I don't know Dave Chappelle, so I can't make that assessment because I don't talk to him on a daily basis. We don't hang out together. We don't smoke weed together. We don't drink beers together. I don't know him, so I can't make that assessment of Dave Chappelle, but I can talk about the routine and what aspects of that sounded transphobic or sounded misogynistic or might have the outcome of producing transphobic, homophobic action in those who are hearing it. But like Natasha said, we got to take it back to us because for me... When I'm feeling that something is racist, homophobic, sexist, I trust my instinct. But so that I can engage it more effectively, I first reflect on what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. Because something is being stirred up inside of me and it's not purely a cerebral exercise. It's a deeply emotional, sometimes even spiritual process. So I got to be aware of what's up inside of me before I can engage 
the person, the comments, the comedy routine in a manner that's effective. That's number one. Number two, the language that we use produces something in the world. And so if my goal is to try to get Dave Chappelle to be more mindful of how he approaches conversations about trans people, and that's I'm not saying that is my goal. I'm just giving a theoretical example. If that's my goal, will calling Dave Chappelle or his comedy routine transphobic begin or end a conversation? What's the most effective use of my vocabulary, my time, my energy? If my goal is to transform how comedians engage LGBTQIA folks, then what words and what language, what labels help me achieve that goal? Take it to yourself. What if someone listens to every single comment you've ever made about a black person, a white person, a female person, a male person, a cisgender person, a trans person, and made lump sum judgments about who you were as a result of two comments? Everybody in here has said something racist. Everybody in here has said something homophobic. Yeah, you have. No matter how woke you are, I've said things that are misogynist. I've said things that are homophobic. I say racist shit all the time. It's true. Katie, you can't agree with that. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean it. (laughs) So back to the comedy special, I think for me, what I'm trying to articulate is that all of us are more complex than the worst thing we've ever done. We're more dynamic than the worst thing that we've ever said. At best, most days, all of us are walking contradictions. And I don't think that we do the best job of figuring out how intersectionality really plays out in the world. And I think part of the point that Dave Chappelle is driving home is, when did we forget to laugh? When did we get to the place where when something is actually freaking hilarious, the chip on our shoulder prevents us from laughing and experiencing that sort of joy and formation that comes from laughter? So he yells out in the show, is it possible to be gay and be racist? And the whole audience says, yes. He said, of course it is. Look at Mike Pence. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he said, I don't know if he gay, but I'm pretty sure he gay. He said, and now he ain't one of them pride parade gays either. He look like one of them gays that pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And he goes into like Mike Pence's prayer life, but jokingly, of course, and saying things that you might hear a closeted homosexual say, who's praying it or trying to pray it away. He jokingly says, I'm jealous of gay people. We all looking at them like, well, look at that movement. That's going well. Maybe the civil rights movement should have had some baby oil and booty shorts and we would be somewhere <laughs> by now. I mean, so there's a way in which I think he's playing with culture and playing with our lives and providing social commentary through a comedic lens that makes me read it differently. I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, <laughs> Chief, Chief Bishop. Supreme Pontiff. <laughs> I, I do because this comedy is the lens in which he engages the world. You know, that's, that's what he does. Like, we engage it through who we are. Uh, you know, and so that's part of his responsibility to and to keep the conversation going and keep it relevant, right? And so what I see is if this is a problem, right, then you have the opportunity to take it and say, see, this is how it's a problem. And if it's not, then you have the opportunity to say, see, I told you it wasn't a problem. But either way, use it for what you deem beneficial. But it doesn't have to mean cancel him because what has he done wrong or what what has he done that has cost someone their livelihood or, you know, well-being? Right. That's um, a really good point, because what I what I was thinking of both when you were talking and Brandon is the reality is he's saying things that people are saying. He's saying things that people are thinking and what is distracting, what is that everybody's focused on him when what they should be thinking about is that people think these things in the world. So 
let's go talk about that. And so um, I appreciate that aha moment, if you will. It's the same way you distract from anything else. You point at, oh, this is what the problem is, but really it's the society. Thank you. And can I just say this too? And, and y'all might do, do something when I say this. The truth is the same reason people are like saying ugly things about Chappelle is the same reason people are saying ugly things about Trump. You're saying stuff that people have been saying. You're just saying it in a public space. And now we can hear how it sounds outside of ourselves. And we get to contend with that. Well, but the thing is to me, like, and, and I, I don't hear y'all doing this, but I want to be careful because I don't put David Chappelle and Donald Trump in the same camp. To me, they're very different. Donald Trump isn't out here telling jokes. True. True. Dave Chappelle is telling jokes. And I'm not defending Dave Chappelle. Hold your perspective. Hold your opinion. But genre does matter. I'm not going to read the book of Genesis in the same way that I read the book of Psalms. I'm not going to read Leviticus like I read Proverbs. They're different genres. And so at some point, we have to take genre seriously and have a conversation about that. Additionally, there's a deeper conversation that I think he's trying to push about how we treat race versus how we treat gender and sexuality. So he filmed this. He recorded this right after the baby got canceled for what he said about Lil Nas X when the baby was talking about Lil Nas X and his background dances in the parking lot. And he said, and this, and this is it. This is this what got me. He said, the baby once shot and killed a nigga. Y'all didn't know that, did you? The baby once shot and killed a nigga in Walmart in North Carolina, and nothing happened to his career. Right. But he made one homophobic comment. He didn't kill nobody this time. And y'all canceled him. So what does that do when you can shoot and kill? Not just shoot, but shoot and kill a whole black man. Nothing happens. But you talk about two niggas sucking dick. And you get canceled. The real issue I think people are having with this, and this is just one black man's opinion, is we don't actually want or need, desire, appreciate intersectionality. My God, today. When we use that word intersectionality, we want that to mean kumbaya, the birds and the bees are singing, the butterflies are flowing, the rainbow and the dolphins are jumping. It's just a beautiful thing. Intersectionality. But really, intersectionality is about tension. It's about laughing at ourselves. It's about figuring out how a white trans life illuminates a black gay life, illuminates a straight Christian life, illuminates an Asian cisgender lesbian life. Because when we come together and we're having this conversation, there will be things that should make us laugh. Absolutely. So, But I, I think that's what I'm trying to say is Dave Chappelle's comedy routines, particularly this special, The Closer, is really a lesson in intersectionality. And what it means not to take your stuff so seriously that you can't see something else. It's about holding it lightly and let it be intention. It's different. It hits different if you live an intersectional life. Because every day I wake up, I'm black and gay. You mean you just ain't dirty? You don't. (laughs) (laughs) Said the white people and the straight people for different reasons. So I think we've teared there as long as we need to. And we do have a little bit of a word of pot for y'all that we want to talk about. So we're going to wrap this thing up right quick and head to a short break. And when we come back, we're going to have a discussion about the church and whether or not we still need it. We'll be right back after this. 
Dave Chappelle said the trans people will make up a word to prove their point and win the argument. <laughs> he was talking about when J.K. Rowling, they called J.K. Rowling a turf. If y'all, know, y'all know what a turf is? T-E-R-F, capital T-E-R-F. It's a, uh, hold on, let me look it up. This is funny. It's a trans exclusionary radical feminist. He said, you know, the trans folks will make up a word to win the argument. But see, that's comedic because we, we do be making up new words to, to, to get to the precision of language we desire. But it was a comedic portrayal of that. I laughed. What's up, good people? Real quick, did you know that every episode of the first season of Healing Jephthah's Daughters is now available on a podcast app near you? Join Lisa Weaver on a journey toward freedom, healing, and wholeness as she explores childhood trauma and the ways that the parent's child, particularly the father-daughter relationship, is one that can cause trauma from which women need to heal. Open the podcast app that you're using right now and click the link in our show notes to listen to every episode of the first season. We're already getting ready for the second season of HJV and you should hear from us near the beginning of 2022. Stay tuned for more exciting news from Theolab Media. We've got a lot coming at you. But for now, let's get back into it. Welcome back from that quick break. It's still so good to be here in the house of the Lord with my friend and my sister, the Reverend Bishop Prophetess Natasha Prince Sanders. Hey, hey now. <laughs> she back. Hey, hey. You already <laughs> dropping gems, good. <laughs> Make sure you pick them up. Don't leave them there. Well, just don't cast none of them pearls for no swine now. You ain't got no swine on here. Sam ain't here today, so you can cast all the pearls today because we're going to pick them all up. <laughs> all of Sam's three fans are going to be really upset. They are. Ooh, the shade of it all. The shade of it all. <laughs> <laughs> so for our brief word of pot conversation today, we want to return to a series of questions we've been asking since we started this podcast, really way back to the mourner's bench. But um, we want to wrestle with the role that the church plays in society and whether or not it still should play that role, right? So um, what prompted this topic is, one, I want to hear Natasha's thoughts about it, since we have a guest host today who I'm certain you'll be hearing from again and again and again in the future. Two, I recently visited Spain with my partner, and when we were there, we chose to focus on religious architecture and visited some beautiful churches and cathedrals and mosques. And we also focused on tapas and sangrias, but we did spend a significant amount of time traveling to different religious buildings just to check them out. But all these buildings are empty. They're tourist attractions, at least in terms of how I experienced it. I even made it a point to go to a service in one of the buildings to see Are there locals? Are these all tourists? It was like 90% tourists. I guess the thing that I'm trying to ask with this very long introduction is, what is the role of church in our society? And are we headed to a point in America where churches are going to be tourist attractions? Are we headed to a point where churches have to figure out a different way to live and exist if they want to have an impact on the world? For sure. And if COVID hadn't taught us the church how to shift, then go ahead And bury yourself, church. If you have not learned how to shift at the height of the pandemic, then you're irrelevant already. So what does it look like to shift? Like, have you seen models of this? Like, do you see pastors, congregations, communities that are shifting well? I have. There's a community that I fellowship with that has been online since 2015. But I also say that there are churches who have really embraced the virtual space in a good way. And I, th- I will say, in my observation, those who have done it well are those who aren't so pressed about members. How do I know that you're my member? Do you pay this or do you do that? Are you on this committee? Are you that? 
if you ha- if you doing all that, then no, you can't keep up with how many people come to your church online on a Sunday or watch it on Wednesday or Thursday or whenever. But if you if you started trying to keep up in the in the old sense of membership, if that is really important to you, your congregation, your leadership style, or what have you, then no, you're not doing well. But those church leaders who have released that and are figuring out a way to navigate through that space are doing just fine. And we'll continue to do so. And I will say it got to feeling good not to have to go into the house every Sunday. (laughs) Well, and see, and I think that's the thing, right? Like for me, that's what COVID presented. For 18 months, we sat in our jammies, drinking our coffee, eating pancakes, gluten-free pancakes, if you will, not having to go to a physical space. And we and y'all still gave us the same thing on Facebook Live that you give me in person, but I didn't have to see you. Once I've gotten a taste for this, why in the world would I want to come back or need to come back for that matter? Right. I think that's the key because people are focused on what that worship is or they're focused. And, and really what I saw um, or experienced myself was this uh, spirituality group that a friend and I started. And it was that connection. Like we would never have gotten to know these people at any point in the church as well as we did through that. And so I've been uh, kind of house church centered for a while. I don't know how you do it. I don't, but but I think people are focused so many so much on how many people are watching it on YouTube or watching it on Facebook. In my context, our pastors have full-time jobs. So that's that's money. You're always seeking the money to be able to sustain the building, to be able to sustain the pastor. But you're not looking at pastoral care. So I think that the churches and the pastors who are focused on pastoral care during this time and now as people are coming back are focused on connection. That's what could make the church live. That's what people need. I always default to the fact that we're here to be in relationship with God and with one another. And if you have to take away everything else in order to get that connection, then that's what you should do because all of the other stuff in the world is keeping us from that. I will say one of the most sincere compliments I've received, and this has to go, this has to do with connection, um, was that I never lost connection with you, right? There, there are a group of children who, what, we, we still to the front yard playing because that was important to their parents' relationship, right? So if church was your sh- social club, then yeah, you lost. You you something. But if you had a relationship with people and your relationship with those people drove you to say, I miss you, how can I see you outside of this building? Yes. Then you did that. And so for me, the, there are the same things that were happening inside of the church I have been doing outside of the church yeah. because that building does not dictate how I govern myself. It is a lifestyle. Well, what, what are the components of that lifestyle, Natasha? Because I think for me, I'm at a place in life where I stream things to laugh. I'm sorry. Call me shady, call me petty, but I log in to see, did the alto sound okay? Did somebody shout in a manner that caused their wig to fall off? Was everything pretty prim and proper or was it clumsy and tacky and I'm not going to tweet about it I'm not I might text about it but I ain't going to put you on blast I just want to see and if it seems like your service is running smoothly I'll move on to the next one <laughs> so like <laughs> that's, that's my is ministry. that room is that is that room and every once in a while I get the ghost Every once in a while, somebody will be singing or preaching or something. And I'll be like, let me finish this. This is good. And, and I'll get something from it. But rarely, very rarely is it in the sermon. So I, I think I'm at a place where I think this, the church has failed to be anything social for me. It provided community for me as a young Black man 
who was raised in a predominantly white neighborhood, which put me in predominantly white schools. And so it gave me a certain type of formation early in my life that I no longer have a need for. I definitely get that. And I, when I talk about lifestyle, it really is just that, Brandon. Like, we get what we need and, and whenever we are in life. But the church has to recognize when it's time to shift and pivot. And you do that based on the community in which you are located or the community in which you dwell. Now, if you have not done that well and now you're trying to do it at the height of a pandemic, then you've already lost. And that's what I'm seeing. And you're talking about like the social club or something, Brandon, you were talking about that. But I think it's more I think it's more the relational piece in the in what will last or in where we need to be headed. It's the accountability. It's people who call you out and call you in and know that you're deeply connected. I don't see that in a day-to-day regular stand-up standard church, or at least a stand-up white Presbyterian one. While you were talking, it made me think of this youth ministry book I read way back in the day by Kenda B.C. Dean, I think. And she said, um, she said, youth want to be connected, right? They they need to be seen. They need to be heard. And all you're giving them is pizza. And and I think that's that's a challenge to the whole church. All we're giving them is the best choir. Because that's all they have. Right. Well, and that's the challenge, right? I mean, I think for me, and I don't use the word social club in a sort of pejorative sense. Uh, that's helpful. I'm saying churches provide us with community. Yeah. Churches provide us with spaces where we are socialized. Yes. I learned how to speak well because every single year in my Black Baptist church, I was going to give an Easter speech. Yes. I was going to memorize it. Mm-hmm. I could be an actor in high school because I could memorize my Easter speech. And you better not stay in one spot when you're reciting it. You better move around. A lo- you better you better present that thing. Yes. I'm not saying that the church is bad. I'm more so just trying to say that those social functions are good. My issue actually is that we felt we have to ascribe all that to Jesus. I think Jesus actually gets in the way of community with the church. If we acknowledge that our primary function is to provide people with safe space or brave space so that they can become more fully human, so that they can have life and life more abundantly, and we do that from a commitment to Jesus without having to figure out how we talk about the tutorial ministry through the lens of scripture, then we might be more effective in our task. Like, what if Jesus has gotten in the way of you doing what Jesus has called you to do as a religious institution? Yes. I don't think Jesus wanted himself to become an idol. And but I think that's maybe what we're making of him. Yeah. One of the things that got me in trouble at a past employer is, was the fact that I asked a question, what do the people really want? Have you found out what the people really want? Because what they're saying is, we don't have this, we don't have that. And so you're just trying to give stuff, give stuff. But what do they want? Ask them what they want. I don't have, to, we don't have time for that. There's, there's no time because, because stewardship season is coming up and we have to, oh, okay, so, <laughs> okay, right? So there, there's, a, there's a disconnect. You don't even want to know now. There are some leaders who don't even want to know now what their community needs. And so their community seeks it elsewhere. Right. And it's not always in the church. And that's what we're finding. People are like, where the millennials going? Where Gen Z going? Not the church. Brunch. Come on, brunch. Flag, football, kickball on the field on the Sunday. Yeah. When you in church. <laughs> or the church of holy shit and the temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. 
Get this word. <laughs> Y'all ain't ready. We should start a flag football league. I would love. I have always wanted to play flag football. It was during softball season, so I couldn't do it. And so that's that's the most lesbian thing I've said. And is and is you giving Dave Chappelle fodder for a joke right there. I oh, know exactly. <laughs> and you would and you would be offended if he said it. No, I uh, that, I would laugh. I mean, if he said the U-Haul joke, I would laugh too. Um, I don't think church people have any idea what goes on outside of church. And I will say that because I mean, I'm generalizing from my own knowledge, right? So I remember after like doing crazy internships when I was in seminary, one of my professors said, I need you to take a month off. You should not go to church. You need to go read the New York Times. You need to do whatever. Do you know there are people who have brunch and they're going out on walk? Like I was shocked. I should have known this earlier in my life. I was shocked. And then they don't even care. They don't even feel guilty. They haven't been told by someone who is a teacher that they should do it. Then when my daughter was it started kindergarten, I met these most amazing teachers there. They were talking about what I know Jesus to be or what I know community to be, and they had nothing to do with the church. They had never walked into one. And I said, somehow, <laughs> this transcends the building or the community. I don't know what that says. It just says something. I mean, I think what it says to me is the reality is Jesus is not actually helping people to become better Christians or become more faithful humans. I still think that Jesus had a very human task. Jesus didn't come just to say, get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm about to go to heaven with all power in my hands and you can come too because y'all niggas still looking at the sky waiting. What Jesus came to do is say, this is what it means to live a fully human life. Drink some good wine. Get them jokers drunk and then bring out your cheap stuff. Bring out the two buck chug after you get them drunk. And tell Mary to come wash my feet. Wash your feet. Them, them feet is dirty. White people be outside without shoes. Wash them doggies. <laughs> Jesus came to do something that was human. Right. And what we've gotten to the place of is we do not allow ourselves to form human connections if we don't do it under the name or the moniker of Jesus. Right, which is the Jesus that's created by the church that's the one looking up at the sky or trying to create ways of keeping people out. You could have just said white Jesus. Right. But it's not the Jesus that came into the world to be human. And we still talk about some t- think outside the box and bring, put God out the box. Well, you put them in there. Exactly. And Katie, to your point, for whatever remains of Jesus's humanity, we've sanitized those things and or erased them from our canon to focus more on that which people say made Jesus divine. It's as if we think that our humanity has to be put to death in service of the divine or on our way to becoming divine. Somehow, we've made ourselves believe that our humanity is evil and has to be sanitized, sanctified, or even worse, killed. We talk about dying to the flesh as if the Christian God placed us inside of these fleshly vessels to facilitate some otherworldly version of punked or uh, what's that other show on ABC? What, what would you do? Like, are we just waiting on Ashton Kutcher or that ethnic, ambiguous man to jump out from around the corner with some with a huge camera crew to let us know that it's all a big practical joke? God's like, I put you inside of this body to see how long you last. If that's the case, that's a dumbass God who needs a hobby. Go back to creating things. But we've sanitized our humanity in the process because we bathe every human experience in a sterilized image of Jesus who simply is on his way to being more divine and not at all concerned with humanity. Mm. And so we try to be like that Jesus. And we interpret every human experience through that lens. Right. I cut my finger and I begin to thank God for the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Get a Band-Aid. Or if I get aroused by my partner and I'm thinking about a sloppy wet kiss from heaven or going into the Holy of Holies, get that out of the bed. That does not 
put me in the mood. So he parsed everything down to sanitize catchphrases and yep. three buzzwords and make people think that if they just learn, serve, and grow, everything will be all right. Exactly. Follow Jesus, save souls, or whatever they say these days. Yep. Live, love, laugh. Eat, pray, love. <laughs> Ain't that what they say? Yeah, bro, great. Right. But on Sundays, we aren't teaching people about the human one and the clear ways he wrestled with what it meant to be enfleshed, to be embodied. So now I have no fucking clue what to do with this thing that I'm in every time I wake up. And if I don't know what to do with my body, I sure don't know what to do with yours. Come on here. I can't be in a relationship with you if you don't articulate everything about your experience, about your body, about your life through this very narrow lens of my pigeonized image of God. So if you don't say Jesus, 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 spirit, 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 God, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you, hallelujah, 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 or follow the language and logic of the cults, then I can't relate to you as human. And so I further deprive myself of living fully into my humanity because I deny you yours. That's a whole sermon, shoot. I think to um, link this conversation with the one we had about Dave Chappelle, I believe that progressive liberalism is a religious cult. And so what we do is the same thing that the church does. When churches say you have to say Jesus, you have to say the Holy Spirit, you have to say, I believe in God, the Father, God, whatever you, whatever the church got to say, all them creeds and stuff. I know what they are, but y'all don't really care. So I'm not going to go into them. Progressive liberalism says, if you are with me, if you are for me, if you are part of my social club and you can't possibly make a joke about a trans person's genitalia, which Dave Chappelle did. And if you don't play by those rules and use that language, then you are not a part of my community and we will cancel you. As much as progressive liberal folks, many of them resist the church, (laughs) they've just made another church and another idol of progressive liberalism. And so we get to the place where we're so concerned with orthodoxy, right thinking, right speaking. You need to be able to articulate these beliefs in the manner that we say and only the way in which we say it. Because if you don't, we will cancel you. And we do that to the point that we're not even concerned about orthopraxy, the practice of what you believe. I'm concerned about the fruit that your tree is bearing. I'm not concerned about what you say. Because you can say a lot of good stuff that sounds like I'm going to heaven. I'm going to have new life and life more abundantly. But you can still be damning me to hell with those exact same words. What is the evidence of what you're saying? And how is it evident in your connections with other humans? And you contribute to life right here, right now. Not sometime in the future because if you if you just waiting on Jesus to come back to rapture us, then you're going to subject me to some real hellish conditions. How is your faith or how are your political commitments contributing to life and flourishing for all of humanity? That's the question that I need to ask. And I guess we can just go ahead and not do a break and do invitations if that's okay with y'all. Can we shift to the do, do our invitations? Natasha, you know about our invitations, right? You be listening. Uh, what are our invitations for listeners this week? Yeah, when you were talking earlier about progressive um, Christians or progressive humans who uh, like to cancel folks, it, it, it to me, that's the place where the left and the right meet, right? That's the circle in which they come together. Um, which is that you, there's only one way, there's only one way to be faithful. Um, and so I guess my invitation, because I'm surrounded by a lot of progressive Christians, I guess my invitation is to step into the tension. So it's the tension of watching that. It's the tension of exploring what's going on inside you. It's the tension of intersectionality, of understanding the world from uh, or of hearing the world. I don't think we can understand the world necessarily from other folks, but we can step into the tension of that. And so, um, so that's my invitation to stop finding easy answers 
and dwell in the unknown. My invitation is to actually, if you have not yet done so, go watch the Dave Chappelle Netflix special. If you are going to add your voice to the conversation, you must engage it and engage it fully. Go watch it for yourself and formulate your own perspective, formulate your own opinion about it and do what Natasha told y'all to do earlier. Look inside when you feel uncomfortable, when you feel frustrated, when you feel sad, when you feel mad, look inside first and see what that thing is being stirred up inside of you. I know that Dave Chappelle is a comedian. And so I don't judge a comedian with a poetic rubric. I don't read the book of Genesis and expect to get what I get in the Psalms. Mm. I might love the Psalms. I might appreciate the Psalms, but I'm not going to try to make the book of Genesis fit into that formula. I'm going to judge it on its own terms. The genre is comedy. And so that's the lens through which I'm looking at it. And I invite you to do the same. Look at it before you critique it. Yeah. I'm going to invite us to figure out what is the seed or the root for whatever is causing you disdain. Because if it's Dave Chappelle this week, then who's it going to be next week? Who's it going to be the week after and the week after? When we talk about in biblical language, reaping and sowing, what have you sown to always reap disdain? What have you sown if you're in a constant state of disgruntlement or offense? You're constantly offended by something. Mama. Check what you've sown because clearly the fruit you're bearing is the fruit of offense. Offense. That's good. So figure out what you've sown. That's real good. I thought disgruntlement was not a word. I thought you just made that up because you know black folks will make up a word, honey. And we will. But that's real. Especially educators. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Ain'ts. Have we told you lately how much we appreciate you listening? It's true. We do. And more than listening, we love it when you talk back. Like Natasha. <laughs> Keep sending those emails to holyshit at theolabmedia.com to ask a question or share what you're thinking. Now, if you really want to show us some love, head on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review this pod. We appreciate all ratings, but we love five stars best. So please do both today. She is taking your spots, Sam. <laughs> Don't forget, you can also show us a little love in the offering basket as it's passed over at patreon.com slash Media. All right, good people. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Until then, peace. I still got a phone. Don't do it. I'm just saying. Don't do it. My phone ain't going nowhere. It sure ain't. It sure ain't. It's right here. Uh-huh. And it get about responses about 50% of the time. Well. Mm. You missed what I posted on Instagram the other day. It said, if y'all ever need me, just know I'm only about five missed calls and three text messages away. I will always be right there. The truth is welcome out of your <laughs> mouth because that's what just fell out of it. I only know how to tell the truth. Only. <laughs> And that's what gets me in trouble sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. You and me both, bro. We in that same truth-telling corner together. My God. Keeping each other accountable. Yes, some. Um. <laughs>